this week's general admission, we'll be once again shaking up the format with an album draft episode. We had three friends join us for a roundtable discussion as we went around choosing our favorite pop punk and emo albums released between 99 and 2011. This episode will be broken up into two parts with the conclusion coming out next week. So without further ado, here is the album draft. So as explained, we're doing six different albums. The concept is you're on a road trip. It's like between the years of 1999 and 2011. So you have a CD changer in your car, which some still do. But anyway, it's a six CD changer. So you can only bring six CDs with you on the road trip. I'm pretending you don't have any storage for any other CDs. So you get your six and that's it. It's broken. So like you can't change them. You can't change it. Yeah. It's like that How I Met Your Mother episode. <laughs> Where are we driving to on this road trip? Somewhere over six hours. So we're going to see Matt in New Hampshire. Okay. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> but I the rules. You... Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead, Frank. I just, <laughs> I just want you to know. I just the format that you mentioned where it's like six CDs. To, I've reshuffled this list today like a hundred times. So I don't know what I'm drafting. That's okay, fair. I think we all have pretty wide list because we don't know who's gonna what's gonna fall to who and yeah everything. So I, I just have my Spotify saved albums open and I'm just gonna try and hope and that works. You just there's mark no, off what's taken. There's no yeah. years on anything. This is gonna be a disaster. <laughs> there's years in Spotify. Not in like this like general album view. I guess I could just click them. You could. <laughs> all right. So wait, did we say the parameters yet for the, the years? parameters are it's 1999 to 2011 and it's geared towards pop punk, metalcore and emo, we said, right? Oh, metalcore. So we can well, have Lincoln Funk. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly pop by, punk emo, I guess. So. By, the top, by the end, it's just going to be end country and like a little bit of doo-wop if you can. And Creed. Yeah. But and then, so we were having this discussion before, but I guess EPs do count if there's an EP you want to throw in. It doesn't necessarily have to be a full length. But another grounder I want to throw out is if you're picking an album like Say Anything's in Defense of the Genre, which is a double album, that counts as two because technically Whoa. that's two CDs. Even though it is one album, it's two CDs in your car. So or if you're doing uh, early November's 2006 album, that's half your list. Who would draft that one? I'm going to take Uno Dos Trace. <laughs> the mother of the mechanic, the path. There it is. Yep. I was blanking when, on the name for a second. When did Uno Dos Trace come out? I'll just take all those, and that'll be my whole list. I think that was 2012. <laughs> oh, man. I can't get Green Day's best albums. <laughs> oh. We have to pick an order. I was going to say, how are we yeah. picking the draft order? <laughs> We're doing it live. <laughs> well, it's got to be snake draft, right? Naturally. So gonna... <laughs> order we... we each got 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do I win for this? That would, that would be pretty cool. Do we just you win like uh, the Rivers Cuomo Chia Pet. I want all your uh, <laughs> podcast ad revenue for the next month. Oh, that's easy. You already have it. <laughs> Pure organic, baby. So, MeUndies, let me tell you about this underwear. Oh, I wish. Promo code general admission. Yeah. Please, someone, pay us. 
anyway <laughs> um order we joined sounds good to me <laughs> yeah i like that Do um, sean snake drafts <laughs> double takes so it's nick myself no you joined before me oh i did <laughs> i mean i had to admit i had to admit you but i got the email that you were on before nice. i walked into my basement so i think it's, so it's frank one one Oh, damn. Actually, I think this one's easy. So, <clears throat> Frank, Nick, Brett, Matt, Sean. Oh. oh. Yep. I think. Right. Right, oh, God. And this is a full Mammoth cast? Right here? It is a Mammoth, mammoth Gen Ed. Nice. I mean, it, it's always a Mammoth Gen Ed, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, winner gets uh, my student loans. <laughs> That are still frozen. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's do it, boys. All right, I'll keep track of these two. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. The first overall pick of the draft. All right. I For me, I feel like this is – I almost have to pick this one. Uh, so I'm going to go Enema of the State by Blink-182. Uh, my reasoning is, like, at least in, in – when I was growing up, like this is like the album that started it all um, in my town for every like dude my age, like everybody was listening to this album. Um, it was the first time that we were like air guitaring in uh bedroom. It's, it's, I don't know, like literally like the first time I heard Dumpweed, like just as like that intro hits, like I was hooked. And it, of course, like the singles, you know, you have, um, you know, Adam's song, all the small things like those are awesome songs, but literally end to end, I, I probably listen to this album just like every other person our age, like a hundred times, like first week. Yeah. So I'm locking that in. I think, what's, uh, I think what's really cool about this album, because I, I think we all love this album, is it almost speaks to a different time in music when labels were really investing in a different style of music than they are today like you look back at where blink was at that point they were riding the success of dude ranch and a lot of people knew who they were but it took like a lot of insight from their label to be like okay like we need to take this band and we need to invest a lot of money and resources into them so the guy who produced this album is this dude jerry finn who unfortunately he passed away when he was 39 but like jerry finn was like the king of pop punk back in the day like he's worked with green day and pennywise and rancid uh weezer goo goo dolls like all these gigantic bands and then they took him and they paired him with this mixer tom lord Elge, who again is like this dude who has worked with like u2 rolling stones like pink avril hansen like MCA, the record label that put out Enema, saw Blink and they're like, okay, we need to invest a ton of time and money into this band. And it clearly paid off because they paved the way for a legitimate like 20 years of pop punk. And I just think that that insight and seeing this band and what they were capable of and the genre that it sparked is, is pretty amazing. Them along with Green Day really just started it off for everyone. Yeah, it's probably why we're having this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. We do talk so Blink it, for like 20 minutes an episode. <laughs> they're not even like, they're barely an active band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, that's yeah, that's a great pick, though, like, for sure. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good was, Like the consensus number one pick. Like, if I went first, I definitely would have picked this album, too. It's it's my favorite album of all time. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point you brought up, Matt. Like, 
before this album came out, Blink actually considered themselves one-hit wonders. Like, if you listen to a lot of their live stuff from, like, 98, 97, when they sing Damn It, they're almost, like, passive-aggressively talking about how that song is their one and only hit. So it's funny how that album came out and completely redefined them as a band and made them, like, the mainstream, like, household name they are today. And I think that stands to reason as why that album is just so popular to this day. Like, that, that album cover is iconic, too. Not even just the songs on the album. Like, you see, yeah, you see that album cover, you immediately know. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point. I like that. We should get her on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> you said she I mean, still does appearances, she... right, Nick? Yeah, yeah I, I think she, she rides the fame a little bit. Like, she, she knows. She knows what she's done to millions of prepubescent <laughs> boys around the world. <laughs> Sorry, we're keeping it clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, just for the pot. Don't worry. Of no. course. But like it's crazy because like last episode in the in the group chat this week we were talking about the new No Pressure album, which I finally got a chance to listen to because of you guys like typing it up. So even to this day in 2022, there's bands that are so clearly influenced by Blink 182, and you know Parker had a hugely successful band in the story so far. So he had a million influences he could probably pick from, and even 20 years later, like you're still hearing so much of like blink just bleeding into the genre and like the album itself like you know it pretty much like expand like all the different types of like punk pop punk songs you hear with this type of band like you have like i literally wrote down a note like dumb idiot songs like just terry gary which is just like them just like <laughs> farting out a song but then you have like like borderline emo love songs like going away to college is like still yeah. like perfect song like it's 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 a great song wendy clear is like similar and then you know then they just sprinkled in hit after hit anthem so, like they they got yeah. into it a little bit it's it's a great album for sure worthy of number one yeah um and and 15 million sold so like yeah. it's just it's just a consensus number one pick so for me um for pick number two i see i as much as i love that album i have I have two albums in mind for that are my undisputed number one for uh, a drive. And obviously I can't pick both. So I'll pick one and I'm going to go the black parade. If I'm in a car driving, that is an album that I, it's like listening to like a musical, like I'm acting out the songs. I'm like pulling my hair. Like it is like a whole thing when that album comes on and it will make an hour of that drive disappear in a second because it has its ups and downs. It has its screaming. It has its ballads. It gets heavy. It's, I just, I love that album so much. Um, yeah. Black Parade, number two. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an awesome uh, album. And obviously, like, the big song, Welcome to Black Parade, like, it's huge. It's like, it's an anthem in itself. And... Like, I, I play guitar, like, a very mediocre, but just, like, the licks, like, leading yeah. into... The solos the song, over like, the vocals are just awesome. Yeah. Um, how it starts with, like, Dead and, like, just that kind of, like, like goofy, waltzy singing kind of thing. And it just... Ah, uh, man. Then you have songs like House of Wolves, Mama, like, all these, like, weird styles that they incorporate throughout the album. Like, it's just so, like, musically diverse while still just being like an epic like pop punk album 
Teenagers is on that too, that. right? Yeah, go ahead, Fred, sorry. I was just going to say Teenagers is on that too, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Teenagers, you could get sad with like cancer and I don't love you. You have those just like, oh man. Uh, famous last words. Like, oh, I could just listen to that on words. repeat for like an hour. <laughs> and I will say too one. that uh, out of all the bands that we're going to talk about today, I feel like My Chemical Romance is one of the ones that's almost uh, transcended our generation where, you know, I work in a middle school and there's still plenty of kids that are wearing My Chemical Romance t-shirts and My Chemical Romance yeah. sweatshirts. And I, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Like back when I was in middle school, everyone was into bands and now it's, you know, they're more so into like, you know, songs that they hear on TikTok, but My Chem is still one of those bands that I see t-shirts still. So, I mean, that's pretty cool that they've been able to do that despite being, you know, dormant as a band for a really long time until recently. It adds to the mystique. And now they're back. <laughs> yeah. Now they're, they're back. back. I hope the show back, happens baby. in October. <laughs> I think it will. Tickets for so long. <laughs> <laughs> for three years. Yeah. That's crazy. Now you got a Midtown opener on one of them too. Yeah, which is pretty that's cool. the one I'm going to, which is cool. Sweet. Thursday would have been nice, but like Midtown, like I have a better chance of seeing Thursday than seeing Midtown. So that's that's, I think it's a win. Um, all right, Brett, number three. All right. So Frank, thank you for making my decision a little easier because I didn't know what I wanted to do with one, one. I had two here. So I'm going with Blink-182 self-titled as my number one choice. I think it's Blink at their pinnacle. I think they peaked with this album. I think it's some of their best material. It was them firing as firing on a whole creative cre- creativity. Creatively. There we go. And there's some of their, their best songs on there, Feeling This, I Miss You. And it's just, a, it gets really weird in part to see what it works for them. And I feel like a lot of bands have kind of tried to like take this blink too, but it never works as well as it did here. And ultimately like this kind of led to the end of Blink a couple years later, well, temporarily, or the Blink as we know it, I should say. But even like, in, like this was my album in middle school. Like I couldn't get enough of this. This was me listening to it every day on the bus, going to school. And in the, in the I just district. remember being crushed when they broke up after like after this came out two years, but I still like haven't stopped listening to this album ever since it came out. So here, here's a question for you, Brett. Do you think this is an album they make if Boxcar Racer never happened? No, I think they needed that to make this happen. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. I I, um, I was in high school when this came out and I remember doing uh, a, like a speaking project on it for a communications class and going through and listening to all the stories that they put together about recording the different songs. And I do think creatively they were in a different space because Mark felt the pressure to keep up with like what Tom and Travis wanted to do with Boxcar Racer. So I think that it's interesting that they were able to come back from that because that was a tough thing that happened to their band. And I agree with you, that's one of their best albums. And to work through that adversity and put out that album despite what happened afterwards, I think it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree, Matt. This was, in my lifetime, maybe the most anticipated album I can ever remember. Um, I remember when Feeling This first came out and it was called Action and it was on the Madden soundtrack that summer and just listening to it yes. over and over and over again um, and just being so pumped for that album and it wasn't even coming out for months after that. I like was counting down the days till, I remember it still to this day, it was November 18th, 2003, I had like the album cover printed out and like taped to one of my binders because I was that big of a nerd. Like, and this album, I knew it was going to be a little bit different. 
and it took me a while to warm up to it. But once I did, I was really hooked. And it, it's really funny because I also did uh, a presentation in one of my freshman year classes. I think it was like a public speaking class or a journalism class or something like that. Um, and I remember using the song Violence for part of it. And like the whole album just top to bottom other than maybe the interludes, which is more of a Mark thing. I, I just, I love it. Um, and especially one of the rare things they did in this album, they don't really have a lot of guest vocals on Blink albums. But the uh, the track with Robert Smith from The Cure to me oh, is it's so one good. Of the most underrated Blink songs there are, yeah. After they put out that album, they went on uh, the Dollar Bill tour, which I was able to go to for seventy five dollar bills. So, so yeah, <laughs> it was a tough ticket to get back then. Do you remember the music video for Feeling This too? So I remember like that being on MTV like all the time. Yeah, before this came out. Yeah, and I think who shot that? I think it was like a famous music video director like David LaChapelle or somebody like that um, shot that. I know a lot of money and investment went into that music video. Like it was big when they uh, they released a single. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. Yeah, Dave, Dave Chappelle <laughs> himself directed that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny that you brought up Madden because as I was putting this list together, I realized how many emo pop punk songs and bands I discovered through video games. Because mm-hmm. like I, I was... Tony Hawk? Tony Hawk, Madden, like every year. <laughs> we really could. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely could. Like uh, Madden, uh, MLB The Show, like the, the college yeah. edition, like oh. they had a ton of... Oh, MVP oh. Baseball? The yeah, Academy yeah. Oh, sorry. Is. I yeah, think MVP. that's where I heard them. They yeah. had a song on one of those. It, it's crazy. It's so funny. Yeah, video games. I had a few snowboarding video games that also introduced me to a ton of stuff. People, what was the know, what was still... SS, SSX tricky? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but then I feel like there was another one that wasn't SSX that had uh, had some good stuff. There's this band Autopilot Off that had a couple really good songs. I don't know whatever happened to them, but just no, random I changed, bands. I changed what? their uh, I changed the the drum head of their drummer snare drum at uh, I think it was Skate and Surf <laughs> one year. They didn't have a drum tech, and I was standing right there. I was like, I can do that for you. Uh, that's they awesome. all signed that's it up. So cool. It was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, I guess I'm up. So I, honestly, I'm at a little bit of a loss here because I didn't think I was going to get this album drafting with who I'm drafting with today. So no. I got to go with, for my first pick, I got to go with Rise or Die Trying from Four Years Strong, which is such a pivotal album for me on so many levels, like musically and just personally as well, because you look at, you know, uh, Nick, we just met, but the three other guys I'm doing this podcast with, this album was a big reason why we all became friends and we, you know, started hanging out and getting to know each other. And, oh man, it just hits on so many levels. I think going into, it came out in 2007. So it was my, uh, either my first or second year of college and going in, I, I had so many musical tastes and to find a band that so perfectly merged all those tastes together was incredible. Like it was just an experience for me that I didn't really understand was possible, but when it happened for me, I was like, oh man, this is the album for me. And I think just growing up listening to a lot of hardcore bands and listening to a ton of pop punk bands, their ability to take nuances from both genres and mix them together and then just to throw some gang vocals and, you know, keyboard parts into it. And I don't know, every song from front to back is a banger, in my opinion, from the moment you hear the bells ring in the takeover to the last like rise or die like chant at the end of maniac it's just 
it's such a good album for me. And I think with Four Years Strong, I, I don't want to say that it's their best album because I, I honestly think Enemy of the World is probably their best album. But in terms of what it did for me to like open myself up to the that genre of like mixed genres if that makes sense i know that was kind of a vague description but and then you know on a musical level and then from a personal level as well like this album means everything to me we we legitimately like closed my wedding with a four-year strong song and we had everyone out there like jamming out like throwing out the gang vocals so this album this album was it for me like this is one of my favorite albums of all time and it really will always be my my favorite album and and, you know, it also helps that I grew up just north of the border of Massachusetts and there a Massachusetts band, yeah, Worcester Mass. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of hometown pride and a lot of good memories of friends. So get yeah, all the holiday shows for me. Oh, I love, yeah, the holiday shows become like a tradition for my wife and I. We you know my mom babysits the kids and we head down to, like we said, Worcester to the Palladium. And, you know, it's they'll always be one of my favorite bands. And, it, this one definitely means a lot for me. It's funny you mentioned how like you guys like bonded over it because my freshman year of college, me and like friends that are now lifelong friends, we would get together in our dorm. We would like rip Super Smash Brothers and just play yes. four years strong for like hours on end. <laughs> it was just yeah, a great like they're time. the ultimate. Yeah, they're like the ultimate buddy band. Like you just want to hang out and scream some gang vocals together. I have a question like, for the oh, group. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Frank. My, my no, no, you go ahead. Random. No, yours is probably more relevant. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> like everything Matt said, like, I pretty much was going to say the exact same thing. Like, there was this point at Monmouth where, like, the group knew each other. And, like, Brett came in, you know, when he got, because he's a little bit younger than the group. But, like, I think I walked into Matt's dorm. He was uh, an RA in the building. And he had a big four-year strong flag on his wall and i was like wait a minute i thought i was the only person who's been <laughs> that we just like started like absolutely like bonding over that and to the band itself like your point about it just being like a bro down band it, I, I feel like it's because at least with this album and then any enemy of the world they just understood what their mission was I'm going to put like a song with gang vocals with an awesome breakdown. It's poppy. You know, it's sing along words. Like if you look at their lyrics, they're like, they're just like slapping like cliche lyric after cliche lyric, but you're just like, I don't give a crap. It works just, though. Yeah. And then the shows are insane. Like it's just a group of like, they, they reach that point where for me, like pop punk bands are at best where they're big enough that they could headline but they're not big enough where they pull in like fringe fans at like two or three songs. So, you know, when you go to a show, it's just people that love that band, especially now, like, you know, five, 10 years after their heyday. So I could probably go on and on about this album, but man, I think you put it perfectly. That actually leads into what I was going to ask. Like, do you think that's why they haven't like this is very random but that's why they haven't reached a level of like a day to remember even though like they kind of both like blend those two sounds together but like four year strongs like not as big as day to remember like i don't understand like why they didn't why they've never get gotten to that level is what i'm trying to say yeah you know what's you know what's interesting about that question is there was a point where a day to remember and four years strong were on tour at newfound glory and four years strong had a better billing than a day to remember and it started 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what and it started this started this giant rivalry between the two of them. And you know, you look back at it, and as much as I love Four Years Strong, like a day to remember, unfortunately for them, had a point. And it's a good question, like why didn't they make that jump? And I think maybe Four Years Strong is just a little bit too nuanced to ever really reach that same level as a day to remember was like a day to remember's music is their singles at least are much more straightforward than any of four year strong singles and i think that straightforwardness of a song like all i want for example probably propelled them to a different level than four year strong was capable they, of reaching a day to remember has like the chick songs too not that like chicks don't get down with the heavy stuff but like they have those really soft like love songs that i think pull a lot more people in and then those people might stick around because of it and i don't listen to as much four years strong as you guys but uh i don't think they have as many like ballad type songs but correct me if i'm wrong yeah that's yeah. that's a good point uh, i think they're yeah, almost too complex for the mainstream like their licks and everything and they're so fast-paced like i like you you hit the nail on the head matt like that they don't remember singles just stand out more as being more radio friendly to me. And maybe that is why they had more appeal. And they really like kind of capitalize on the, I, I don't know, it was almost like safe screamo, a day to remember in a way. It was like one of those like fringe, like gateway screamo bands, I think for a lot of people. And I know it's technically post hardcore, but they're kind of in that weird middle ground. Um, and, and I think they kind of bridged a couple of different like subgenres there. So I think that also helped maybe a little bit. But yeah, for whatever reason, Four Years Strong just never had the same mainstream appeal that that they don't remember did. And I think part of the reason, and it's tricky because they almost tried to go more mainstream with, um, oh God, I'm I'm forgetting the name of the album that came out in 2011, the one that bombed. Uh, in some, in way, some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I think that was their attempt to go more mainstream, but they almost, it, it seemed like more of a passion project for them than it was actually what was mainstream at that point, maybe. And that really set them back. Like they never really fully recovered from that album. And it's they tried like, to be the Deftones. Yeah, it's almost like they've had a chip on their shoulder since, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny you bring that up, and I feel like we could talk about it in some way, shape, or form because I don't know it's going to be anybody's list. And maybe if it is, I apologize. Kind of, but think so. <laughs> I distinctly remember that after uh, Enemy of the World. They went on tour with, I believe, Rise Against and Foo Fighter. I, I I forget who they were on the tour with, but I remember a tweet coming out or, or something before that, like they were heavily influencing the new album on like the bands they were touring with. And Nick, Brett, you guys were absolutely talking about Rise Against last last uh, podcast, and it's nothing against the band Rise Against, but it was just like clearly Four Year Strong was trying to oh Rise Against is in this genre and then they push into the mainstream and they just went away from what they were good at. Like they stopped doing double bass, they fired Josh and it just, it just became like watered down. And then they tried to save it with the next album, which was a great album, but it was almost like they just, people were so hyped after enemy of the world and then just hard to recover. And you mentioned the ballad piece they like they did the acoustic follow-up of enemy of the world and it was great and they showed that they can break it down slow it down and like like between the wasting time cover and um you know some of the other covers like they showed like we can play slow songs that are that are you know prettier but they just never made like the main album so it's like you had to be a super fan to then look at the b-sides and 
it's just a tough sell. So what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean, you want to, you want to, further? Is, yeah, yeah, Sean's up. Yeah. Uh, I, you got I, two. I just you do have two. Oh, you're right. I do. Um, <laughs> so I just called an audible and changed my pick right before this. I completely forgot I have two picks in a row. So I had two albums I was going back and forth between to this point. And then all of a sudden I realized like, you know what? I have to grab this one now because if I don't, I don't know if it's going to come back around to me. So we've already got Enema of the State and self-title off the board. I got to take take off your pants and jacket off the board uh, before I lose it. I just got to pick this album. Like, even though there's other bands I want to get in here, it's just too important of an album in my life. Like, I remember before I had any kind of disposable income as a kid and was probably spending most of my money on wrestling action figures. Um, I remember this album was coming out. I was obsessed with the rock show and saying to my, my parents, like, if you buy me this album, I'll learn to play every album on Enma. I'll learn to play every album on every song in Enma the State so that you buy me this album. And they bought it for me anyway, which is cool. Um, but it, it was just that important to me to get my hands on this album as soon as I could. I, I still vividly remember going to pick it up with my dad that day. I got the version. If you remember, they had like the three different versions you could get with the two hidden bonus tracks. I got the red one with the plane on it and didn't even discover the bonus tracks until like months later, which is cool. That, that was even a thing back then. Um, it's a lot like Animal of the State, very similar musically. I think maybe a slightly more mature, if anything. But um, every song in this album is just a banger. It's something you could listen to all the way through. Like even like some of the deeper cuts, like Roller Coaster, I get really amped up for and every time I look for you, it's just, it's just one of those really solid albums front to back and definitely a, a big one in my life. Yeah. Did you get the album reference when you were around that age or did it take you a couple of years? Honestly, I didn't even realize what it meant until somewhat recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I was like 22, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, jacket. I got it. Uh, <laughs> I had the, the edited version. My aunt bought me the album for Christmas and my mom took one look at it. Some of the some of the track titles, shut the fuck up, uh, happy holidays, you bastard. <laughs> and she's like, nah, we're, we're bringing this back. And then I had the edited version that had, uh, is it What Went Wrong as the bonus track? I don't know if that's mm, yeah, the title. Yeah. yeah. That, was the, that was the yellow version. Uh, yeah, it was cool, though, because it wasn't like a shiny CD cover. It was more like matte, like yeah. cardboard feeling. Uh, oh, yeah, they had the, they had the bifold <laughs> CD case for those, right? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I remember that. Oh man, this album, I, I agree with Sean, is just like, so, like, I had known about Blink before, but this was like their first full-length, like, original album that they put out when I had already known about them as a band. Like, by the time I had discovered Blink, Enema had already come out, so this was, for me, like, okay, Blink has a new album come out coming out, and to Sean's point about the three different versions, like, I had my mom driving me around to different record stores so I could get all three versions. Like, I, I had to have all the bonus tracks, but... Um, doing some digging on this album, I didn't realize back then like how stressful of an album this was for them to write. Like they talk about how this album between Mark and Tom really became a competition and how it wasn't a super healthy relationship where while they were writing it. Uh, Sean, I love that you said that you loved Rock Show because Rock Show is one of my favorite Blink songs of all time. But that's a song that they're at like their manager essentially made them write because they wanted a summer hit for the album. Um, I don't know. I think it's a great song. And 
uh, I guess the the other tidbit that I found really in interesting for this is apparently Tom was heavily in uh, influenced by Alkaline Trio while writing this album, which is really funny considering his replacement uh, eventually. <laughs> but and then the the last thing I thought was really interesting was Travis was really uh, upset with Tom and Mark because they they had the three symbols right the pants the jacket and the plane and travis is like please guys don't give me the plane i don't want the plane like i hate flying like i really don't want the plane and then like later yeah. on like he was in that tragic uh you know it's yeah. you look back at it now you laugh at the scenario with the two of them but then or the three of them and then he was in that tragic plane accident so some weird like foreshadowing there with him ending up with that plane symbol but yeah overall just I mean, I agree, Sean. Some of the deep, deep cuts on that album are just phenomenal. Let me ask you guys this question, because we were talking about this a little the other day, and I feel like this era, it was interesting because it was so hard for bands to have a strong follow-up album. They'd reach like mainstream success, and they couldn't follow up. I think it's safe to say Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was the best follow-up album in this era, like to a mainstream hit or a mainstream album like Enema of the State. Yeah, you know what, I think that's a good point. Like, you think about some of the other albums that have come out, and I don't want to take anything away from an album like Catalyst that followed up um, Sticks and Stones, but it, it definitely didn't reach the level that Sticks and Stones did in my mind. I think for a lot of these bands, like, there's definitely exceptions, but this is the first pop-punk band after Green Day, maybe, that had a follow-up as big as the previous album, that I can remember, at least. Yeah, it's... Yeah. there's. It's hard to talk about it because some albums haven't yeah. been uh, brought up that's, yet. That's why I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that comes one. to mind. Um, uh, Sean, let's go to your next pick since we've done a lot of Blink Talk so far. Unless you just have some other... It's, it's the Mark, Tom, and Travis show in there. <laughs> just round it out. Just, we'll just do a Blink. Neighborhoods. Draft. That would be a fun one. I don't know what year that came out. I'm sure it was That'd after 99. Um... <laughs> I've got a couple here I want to pick. It's tough because there's a couple that I really want on my list, but I'm not sure if they'll snake back around to me. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with the more popular one here. I think there's a chance this one comes back around. I'm going to go with one that for me was like the first underground band that really made it mainstream. Um, I was in eighth grade when this album or seventh grade when this album came out, and they really blew up around that seventh, eighth grade time, time frame. And like, even the, the kids that weren't like emo, like pop punk kids knew about this band all of a sudden. So I'm just going to have to go with Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday. Like that was like the first mainstream emo album that I can remember. And like every track on it's so solid, like to this day, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm transported back to eighth grade when I listened to it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just one of my all-time favorite albums in this genre. It's great. It's amazing. And if someone's on this road trip with you, you guys could do the call and response vocals. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> the double bonus. I try to do it myself sometimes. It gets very confusing. <laughs> I was a bigger fan of the other Long Island call and response. <laughs> Are we allowed um, to talk about that? <laughs> we we will we at some point. <laughs> Yeah, tell all your friends though. I mean, it's it's iconic. They, uh, it it did it start like as far as I'm concerned, it like invented call and response vocals because I don't know too many like Blink kind of did it, but like they didn't lean into it as hard. Um, they took it to another level. Yeah, yeah. 
That's an interesting point, though, that you bring up, because I agree, Blink was more so like a Tom song and a Mark song, where this was that call and response, and I bet this almost influenced some bands like Four Years Strong, right, who just go back and forth on a lot of their vocals, so yeah, I, I like that point. Yeah, Blink, I'd like Pathetic, that's like the one that always comes to mind with that. Look at yeah, us talking about Blink again. That's a jam. <laughs> This is just a blink podcast now. Right? <laughs> oh, Blinkcast. Right. Change the name. Oh, I think you guys what All was right. the name that you guys gave the pod last week? It was like uh cold and oh the uh, cold miserable cold podcast. And miserable. <laughs> just new name every week. Uh all right, Matt, you're up. All right, let's do it. I uh I think i I gotta be the first person here as the resident newfound glory super fan to uh with the newfound glory album so i know sticks and stones kind of sparked this debate here but i actually have to go with newfound glory self-titled album um this was you know talking about albums that mean a lot to me this is another one that means a lot to me because i feel like this was the first band i almost discovered on my own so my my first introduction to newfound glory was i was at this day camp up in new hampshire and this kid showed me a call he's like oh you like blink like check out these two songs and he showed me mxpx's punk rock show and then he showed me newfound glory's cover of glory of love and i was like whoa this is this is amazing like i need more of this glory of love like newfound glory band what's going on here and that's where i really discovered this self-titled album from newfound glory so um this was again um just a super pivotal album for me when it came to discovering the genre. And it was another album that, um, that, man, where am I, where am I going with this? Sorry, I lost my train of thought here. I, re- I took way too many notes on this album. So I'm like, <laughs> what do I want to hit on first? Let's, let's talk about the producer. So I talked about Jerry Finn and Blink-182 before. So Jerry Finn actually started off as a producer for this album, but the band really didn't love the way that he, uh, produce hit or miss. So they decided to go with another guy, this guy, Neil Avron, who again is another like a gigantic uh, producer in like the pop punk genre. So this was Newfound Glory's first major label release. They were previously on Drive Through Records. And for those of you guys who don't know, Drive Through Records had this insane deal with MCA Records. Drive Through was going broke and they wanted to keep their label afloat. So they signed this deal with MCA that essentially provided MCA the opportunity to upstream any band off of drive through records that they wanted and to take them over as their own band. So this worked out really well for some bands like Newfound Glory, but it absolutely destroyed other bands like The Starting Line and Census Fail had a really tough time with this deal. So they got upstream to MCA, and I think this band has such a heavy pace to it. And I talked a little bit about Four Year Strong mixing genres before, And I think the reason Four Year Strong was able to do that is because there were bands like Newfound Glory doing it for a really long time, but they were kind of hiding under that like pop punk genre. Going back now and knowing what I do about music, like knowing more about music, I'm able to recognize that there are a ton of like hardcore guitar riffs in this. There's really fast paced drumming. And it's just for me, an album that from front to back is super exciting for me. And it's music that I truly love. And I, I never, ever, ever get sick of this album i've had the opportunity to see them play it front to back probably four or five times now and i almost get more excited for those shows than the than the hits shows because i get to hear all these songs that you know like sucker or boy crazy um all about her the 
these songs that I really, really fell in love with back in middle school and that I still really love today. So yeah, I have to have to go with Newfound Glory's self-titled album. It was also a number 14 on Rolling Stone's top 50 greatest pop punk albums of all time, which I thought was pretty cool that they were up that high because this uh, Newfound Glory, along with bands like Sum 41 and Good Charlotte, were probably the first wave of bands that really benefited from Blink and Green Day's success. Yeah, Newfound Glory, they're, uh, I don't think I'll ever stop going to see Newfound Glory shows. Dude, Chad loves his heavy, heavy chords. Yeah, he was uh, the lead singer of a hardcore band back in the day. So they, they had so much hardcore influence and didn't really know what hardcore was back in seventh and eighth grade. So I had that soft introduction before I really got into some of those heavier bands. That's a good pick. Him live doing Tip of the Iceberg is like probably like my favorite like hardcore Chad with Newfound Glory. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. Nice. Alright, Brett. All right. All right. Well, so don't do it. I have two options here. <laughs> I'm so scared. All right. I'm going with it. So this is a really important album to me. And I feel like if I don't take it now, it's not going to be there when it comes back around. So I'm going with a day to remember homesick. So no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Kind of like Rise or Die Trying, I feel like Homesick is a really important album for like how we all became friends too. And this one came out my freshman year or my senior year of high school going into freshman year of college. And obviously like that's like a transition time in your life where it's like not not the easiest. And this album was like the soundtrack that got me through all that and kind of transitioned me from, you know, high school friends to college friends and feeling like I belonged again. And whenever I had my doubts or wasn't feeling great, like this album was there to pick me back up because I had, it was, it's filled with highs and lows. Like you have the downfall, downfall of us all at the beginning. You have like the heavy songs, like uh, Mr. Highway was my good pissed off song. Uh, <laughs> you had the ballad at the end, if it means a lot to you. And this one is just one that's great all the way through. And it's led to many nights of sing-alongs and it's still, I think it's still their best album. I know a lot of people like what separates me from you, but I still think this is their peak. Right. Is it fair to say that this album made you the man you are today? I think that's fair to say. <laughs> Used to headbang on Frank's on your living room table to songs. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I vividly remember playing this a lot in our apartment, uh, especially senior year. And it's funny how we talk about this band, uh, a day to remember, like transcending its genre and really having appeal to other other people in the mainstream and like people who listen to different genres like our roommate uh sean mahoney shout out to sean mahone boom boom um listened almost exclusively to rap at that point and he loved the day to remember like he just started picking up on all the music that we started playing and like it really started with the day to remember i I vividly remember sitting there just i think it was just frank and maybe it was just the three of us and he comes in, he's like, oh, what do you listen to? Mr. Henry, where's the neighborhood? <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite moments. Oh. But yeah, I, I just, I remember listening to this album all the time, senior year, and everyone being into it. It was just a great group album to listen to. Dude, and, and Mr. Highway, it's, it's a perfect song. Like that build up intro where you're literally, it's just like, something takes something consumes you like 
it's that and then it goes into like just like a classic hardcore song like an absolutely vicious breakdown and then the actual yeah like i mean a something a day to remember always does well is great lead-ins to breakdowns like whether it's like the the throat clear like the (laughs) everybody's out like it's it and then that like mr highway ends with that like awesome outro that's like kind of slowed down and just like a huge step change like to you catch your breath like to our point yeah. about them versus four years strong before like that's a perfect example like they remember just sometimes they they i hate to say it but they just took more interesting takes on on song structure yeah they surprised actually you uh, some stuff i was uh listening to silverstein's podcast and they had mike krenica on from devilers product talking about the song that he recently did with them and they made a joke about how they wanted him to come back to re-record at the road clear and I had no idea that he was the one who did the throat clear and the screaming part in that song. I didn't know. So that, that was the no, me either. That was that was new to me. I just like literally two days ago I heard that. So I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. And then uh, I, I think it's very fitting that you picked this album after I picked a newfound glory album because Chad actually produced this album. He did. So, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. So Chad from Newfound Glory produced this and uh, what separates me from you. And I think there's a ton of Newfound Glory influence out on this album. And it's definitely for the best because I think we all agree that the more poppy aspects of this album is probably what propelled them as a band. Not the poppy that came out last year. Uh yeah, no, we don't I don't <laughs> think we talk about those new data remember albums, do we? The marshmallow <laughs> song albums? is pretty sick. You're not welcome. <laughs> the marshmallow song is yeah. awesome. I but agree. That's a marshmallow song. Like, that's a that's true. Remember. That's true. Semantics. <laughs> no, but that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, am I up? Back to you. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to have a well-rounded six, but I didn't think this would make it back to me and I have to take it. American idiot. I just need it. I need it for a long car ride again. Like I love these concept albums that came out in the early two thousands and black parade and American idiot are two of my favorites that do that. Um, I love albums that tell a story that have their ups and downs. Um, they have, I mean, Jesus of Suburbia is like maybe one of the best songs Green Day's ever written. Like that song is awesome. Then you have Homecoming at the end. Um, you had like, it's just a perfect album in my mind. They were my first concert ever. So like that tour, especially. So it holds a special place in my heart and I need it on my list. It's an awesome album. Like Jesus of Suburbia. It minds you, it's like what, 15 minutes long. Of, like It's up there. Like, like five like uh separate songs it all yeah. makes sense together like it all flows it's a cool story yeah i definitely uh my angsty like, yeah. <laughs> like stage i had that blasting all the I, time i remember like my first listens like when he would reference I, I think it was maybe in homecoming he would reference like the jesus of suburbia has died or something and i was like whoa he's talking about another song on the album this is crazy cool. like, i obviously haven't heard like dark side of the moon by this point in my life but it, <laughs> it totally blew my mind it's just such like a good storytelling album uh yeah american idiot also nick i like how you said that black parading american idiot would go one two and you ended up with both of them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, yeah those are my one too so I'm, I'm pretty happy right now but now there's there's other ones that i want that i'm scared <laughs> yeah and i mean like on this album like 
it also had just huge mainstream success too. Like obviously American yeah. Idiot, which was another, I think that was a Madden song as well. It was, but, yeah. <laughs> so there you yeah. go. Yeah, like Madden just knew how to pick them and nowadays they don't have any rock on. But You, uh, you mentioned it earlier with like bands that have done it twice. Like Dookie was bigger than it had any business being. And then they came back again like 10 years later and did it all over again like that is unheard of it's just and good riddance like their arguably their biggest hit was almost like overshadowed by this album like this yeah. even though good riddance was such a huge song i feel like that was kind of their their one big like dookie was mainstream too so it's hard to say but you know everybody knew good riddance that was like yeah. a graduation yeah. song it was a wedding song it's just so this ironic album, this truly like propelled them into the mainstream and almost it seemed like at that point they'd almost been overtaken by Blink's popularity and this really like put them back on the map. Like they did Warning in 2000 and like I like that that album and those songs but they kind of like, I think they released their greatest hits album like 2001. It almost seemed like International Super Hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Which was packed you know, with It was songs. loaded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they had like 20 albums after. Yeah, it's like they had like a second phase to their career and this really like kickstarted that this was almost like the start of their mainstream albums like i always thought it sounds shitty but as a kid at the time i really thought green day kind of sold out when they released this album uh not to be contrarian but this really was the start of them going in that more mainstream direction with all the albums that they came out with they got more political um it really does almost feel like a second career that they had following this yeah yeah absolutely here's here's a question for you guys have you guys followed that second career from green day because while i think this was a gigantic success for them and it really changed them from a punk band to a mainstream rock band i don't know if i could name another green day album after this yeah, 21 guns is that the name of the album or yeah. is that just the song off it none quite hit the same i enjoyed revolution radio but like not nearly that was a good to the one. extent yeah. um yeah no I think you're right, but um, they still put on a great live show, which I think helps keep um, the legacy going. I'll still yeah, see them agreed. live, despite not being super into like that. That album with like the throwing up unicorn or whatever was not not great. good at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? Green, Green Day's reached that point where it's like they could put out garbage after garbage. They've already done their like if Blink. I hate to keep going with Blink, but like those two <laughs> bands are so like connected. Yeah they could put out garbage songs the rest of their careers and it doesn't matter. They've already like yeah. changed their genre more than any two other bands. Yeah. It's like a Weezer type band where when they've been that famous for that long and have that many hits in their catalog, it doesn't matter what they do. They're always going to be like a major headlining act. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like I really didn't think about that, Matt, but you know, I guess there were other people who kind of thought like me at that point. And I feel like maybe they lost some fans within this niche that we're talking about now and got more mainstream. So they didn't need us as much, but I feel like they did kind of, it wasn't as cool like Green Day around like 2004, 2005. It almost became cooler to like, oh, what, what new bands are coming out? And they kind of lost some clout within like the emo pop punk scene after they released American Idiot. Yeah. You can, you can tell that you probably have like, two years on me because that's all it took for for you for someone to be like green day was a punk band and american idiot was not punk whereas american idiot to me was pretty much like my first big exposure to green day like i'd kind of heard welcome to paradise and 
So like, I didn't have that sort of um, those expectations at all. And it's just interesting, like what a small window it takes to just have a totally different perspective on a band. Yeah, seriously. We're only talking like a year or two of an age gap. But for me, like I got into them, I knew them before I got the album, but I remember summer of 2002 getting international super hits and like listening to that on repeat that whole summer and being really into it and then kind of being like, oh, they're getting political with American Idiot. And that's kind of where I started to like fall off with them a little bit. So it is interesting how, you know, just being exposed by their, to their earlier stuff before American Idiot came out may have changed my view of that album. Yeah. They also came, uh, on that album, I think was the one where they, they became a four piece, not in credit, but they started layering uh, guitar and they had a touring guitar. I forget his name. He's still but it was the band, on, though, I think, right? Is he? Yeah. So it, he would kind of take the solos and stuff. I yeah, because it's almost like they saw punk pop punk used to be three piece. This shifted to four piece lead and, and uh, rhythm. Let's do it like that to me is like cool. And every genre and every, you know, era has those type of bands. So. All right. Take it away, Frank. Brett took homesick, which is going to be mine. So screw you, Brett. <laughs> Um, I have like three or four I could put. I think I'm going to go with Take This to Your Grave. Because when I'm thinking, when I'm thinking this era, and at least where I grew up, it was like, tell all your friends, take this to your grave. And then some albums from a Long Island band that nobody's mentioned yet. So we won't get into them yet. But I was actually late to the party. So I was, I went down the new metal phase where everybody in my age group went emo and i kind of came back at some point and this album's awesome not just because of like the the songs everybody loves like grand theft autumn but as i was learning guitar this was like a perfect album to learn because it's easy to play but everything's so catchy it's so fun to play and just from doing that like i repeat songs over and over and i never get bored of them which a lot of times when i'm like learning songs on guitar i'm like okay now i don't want to hear the song like ever again I could put this album on driving like me and my wife and never get bored and never skip a song, which is always like, for me, I'm a playlist guy. So for me to listen to an album end to end is like impossible. So um, I don't love fallout boy as a band. You know, I, I, I think There's it's two different sh- fallout boys at this point. Yeah. 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 Per- perfect example. Yeah. Cause I don't love bands that refuse to play their older stuff. I, I get it. I get their point of view, but I, Fall Out Boy, uh, I got a sour taste in, in my mouth when Patrick Stump wrote this like letter to his fans on why they don't play Take This to the Grave Live. And it was just this corny, just sappy bullshit. And I'm like, yeah. dude, nobody wants to hear, light it up. <laughs> like, just play <laughs> Take This to Your Grave and Sugar are going down and then move on. It's not fair for them to put those albums down because like you said there, really interesting albums like like you mentioned the guitar and that stands out to me especially because these aren't just like power chord albums like the guitars are doing interesting stuff it's not just easy to pick up and jam out to so like i don't know they should be proud of those albums i don't know why they wouldn't play them that's news yeah i I honestly didn't even know that was a thing that's that's insane to me that they won't play some of the songs from this album like i get not wanting to play some of the stuff before this even though grand theft auto is my favorite song by them but it's just wild that they won't even play some of the songs that really made them famous, if we're being honest. Like, people knew who they were within our genre, but this, again, is 
the album that made them mainstream. And it's just crazy that instead of that, they're just out there like, oh, you want to hear Take This to Your Grave? Well, here's this tasty list featuring Missy <laughs> <Yeah>. Elliott. <laughs> 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 like, how do they do it? They go on a tour with Green Day and Weezer, and they don't want to play their songs that like lean towards pop punk. Like, that yeah, makes no sense. Wild. If I can see you're touring your new album, and it's all like whatever your new sound is, and you want to stick to that, fine. But like, if you're doing a tour with Weezer and Green Day, play. You know what the fans there want. Like, are you kidding me? That's just yeah. that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, I think. uh Geez, from the moment that album starts with that like dial tone noise at the beginning, like you know you're in for it, and this, you hear that without hearing any notes of the song, you're like, oh, here we go, like we're about to jam. And um, Sean, I know you were talking a little bit about their success, and I, I just find it interesting that I think the label knew they had something special with this band because they were signed to Island Records, but they put this album out on Fuel by Ramen, which is like an imprint of. Uh, Island Records as a marketing strategy so they're like we know that this is going to be a huge band but let's put them out on a smaller like quote-unquote independent label to try to gain some some clout or some reputation for them within the community and then they were able to ride that for a few albums before they did do that gigantic genre switch. That's really cool Matt I had no idea it's almost like they know they're going to lose clout if they put them under a major label so they purposely kept them with it because that eventually happens to every band. So it probably kept them popular within the genre for a little bit longer than they would have been otherwise. Matt, you have really awesome tidbits tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel so unprepared. I'm like, I took, oh. boys, I took, a lot, oh, I took a lot of notes. I took a lot of notes. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you when I was taking the notes, but I have to say it off record because I wasn't supposed to be taking notes during this period of time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Matt said, <laughs> nice. these tidbits, I'm sitting here like, I like song because it goes raw. Guitar is good. Raw, loud gang vocals. I like it. All right, my second, my second pick. This might be a reach, but this this band has become probably one of my top two bands, and I'm struggling to choose which album, so I'm just going to choose the one that I think makes most sense. Bayside, The Walking Wounded. So I am. Uh, a huge, huge, I've become a huge fan of Bayside over the last 10 years. I, before that, I really just knew uh, Devotion and Desire from their, their self-titled. Yeah. Um, but that. yeah, and it and from MVP uh, Baseball 2005 <laughs> is where, <laughs> where I saw that song. But The Walking Wounded, and, and I was so happy to uh, go to the 20-year anniversary tour. Um, Bayside to me is the, the, the tightest band of this era, just in the sense of like, Musically, uh, you know, the, the songs they put out, the talent of each individual band member, like, I feel it is tough to find a band that matches all those components. Like, Anthony Ranieri, to me, has to be, like, top two or three singers, like, from singing ability from, from this era. And then Jack, the guitarist, just absolutely shreds. I don't know if you've ever seen them live. They shred best way live more band. live. Oh, my God. Dude, best live band, uh, probably... Well, I, I realize I'm biased, but one of the best live bands I've seen, and he does not miss a note. He plays very difficult riffs, and it's like it's like he's played them obviously thousands of times in his career. Um, yeah, Heath Heath from Midtown always says that Jack is like the best guitarist in the scene. 
Like he's a huge, huge fan of his. You're right. He's insanely talented. Yeah. And he's like a smaller dude. And like his hands aren't that big. And you watch him play and it's crazy. And just from the songs on this album, like Duality was a great single. Carry On, like especially live when it gets to that point uh, at the end where they, you know, pass the bridge and it's the, the, like, carry on, carry on. Like, they get the crowd to do it. And it's one of those where, like, every, like, hair on your, like, my arm just, like, stands up. And then landing feet first to our point about bands that can break it down and have, like, kind of a ballad. That's probably my, it's definitely, like, a top five favorite song all time. It's just like such a different song that they put out. It's actually like pretty uh, romantic in a way. And, you know, just they put on a clinic, I feel like, every time they, they write an album. That, uh, that Vinny from the movie Life features one of my favorite like guest vocal appearances ever. It's just yeah. so, so good. Oh, such a good album. Yeah, I've seen them with taking back Sunday a bunch. Like I never listened to a ton of Bayside, but I saw them live a bunch of times. And I always felt like they shredded way more live than they did on the albums. And it, I always left thinking just like, damn, that guitarist knows what's up. They got chops. Oh, I should yeah. dig into them more. I'm going to, I'm going to dig into any albums we talk about that I haven't. This Same is here. one of them. Yeah. Very interesting songs. Like they're the kind of band they'll never get old. Because every, every song is like a piece that you listen to it five times and you'll find something else about the song that you like. All right. All right. So. Hmm. All right. I'm going to go with Siren Song, Rise Against. They're by far like my favorite band. I think Tim is one of the great lyricists of our time. Um their bass player, Joe Prince Bay, is like a master. Like the bass lines he comes up with and the runs he goes on in their songs just never get old to me. Um, and they honestly, I could close my eyes and pick pretty much any album they put out in this time. But I think Siren Song is just a little more raw than the others. And, and I like that. Like Life Less Frightening, First Drop. Like it's got like that heavy guitar. Tim's voice is like nice and scratchy on it. Um, it starts off state of the union. Like you just know what you're in for right away. It's, it's one of my favorites. This one pretty much put them on the mainstream I'd say. Right. Yeah. I remember that in the Dan Ozzy book, how Tim was talking about how um, swing life away. Like that was just a song he like wrote on his own and um, it, they convinced him to put it on the album and then it like became super popular. It would be on it. Like, target and stuff and like these like soccer moms are listening to it and he was saying how he loves the idea that like there's people out there who heard swing life away and they're like oh this is nice let me get this album and then they put it on and state of the union just kicks it off with him like <laughs> screaming about like the state of our country and like war it's just like it's not indicative of what the album is at all and it's just great it's such a good album um oh don't click that um yeah it's easy pick for me yeah i um i always every time i heard a rising against song i always liked that it's just just like bayside too like i just never dug into their catalog so i definitely have to take a look oh man yeah you're in for a treat i mean the album they just put out last year nowhere generation like 
to me is just as good as anything they've done for a band to still be putting out good interesting albums after like 20 years is just a sign of like their talent yeah. they're they're my number one like by far i love those guys yeah they know who they are and they stick to it which is yeah. like their strength yeah yeah and his, but his, his lyrics are so good that like you want to listen to new songs you want to keep going back to old songs and the instrumentals are there too but like I'm a sucker for lyrics and ones that make you think and good metaphors like you you guys know what it takes but yeah he's he's a master all right brett take all it right. away i'm torn between two again so i think Don't i just gotta <laughs> take another good one pick a garbage album all right so i'm gonna go with 311 no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> I said a garbage album, that was all of our next pick. amber is the color of your energy damn it yeah no so yeah all right so this one pretty much introduced me to screamo so i feel like i have to take it because without finding this one i don't know i get to where i currently am musically so i'm going with finch what it is to burn oh so such a good pick that's (laughs) such a good pick Oh, I love this. Go. So when this one came out, I heard, I've never heard anything like this before. Like I was at my cousin's house or like in his backyard, he put this on and I've never heard any like screaming like this before or like a heaviness, even though like Lincoln Park was out by them. But like this took like screaming like a whole nother level, like new beginnings. Like again, you have that slow build and that song just kicks ass and sets the tone for that entire album. And I don't think there's a single like bad song on the album. Like even like their ballads are good. Like, I don't know if Letters to You is necessarily a ballad, but it's a jam. <laughs> In the scope of this album, it is. <laughs> yeah. And then the end with like what it is to burn. Like you, you're just like, yeah. there's just high points all throughout it. Um, I was bummed they were never really able to replicate what they did here. But I feel like this is such a staple. And like there are so many bands that would come in their shadows after them. And for me, musically, yeah. like, I found a lot of bands because I liked Finch. So I, I think it's, I think it's, crazy that you took finch after taking a day to remember because uh jeremy always cites finch as a gigantic influence on a day to remember being like one of the main drivers of them creating a day to remember so i think that's a really cool connection there the straight line um, there. <laughs> and then and then you know all roads lead back to blink do you know that finch was actually one of mark and tom's bands on their management like little management imprint that they had for a while there Is that so Atticus? I, uh Atticus was their clothing line. I have no idea what what their management brand was. But yeah, I guess Mark and Tom actually managed Finch, which again is like you look at the weird through lines of the the genre and the the industry and coming back to Blink there is funny. But I think it might have had something to do with the fact that Finch was another drive through records band that got upstreamed to MCA. And this album was uh, like a true split between MCA and drive through records. So there was that Blink was on MCA. So there was definitely that influence from Blink to, you know, maybe nudge MCA in the direction of upstreaming Finch. And like you said, they never really replicated that success. So it's yeah. it's interesting that they were eventually upstream to that, that major label, but didn't make a whole lot of it other than for all of us, you know, kids that love Screamo back in the day. And they did get that song on Madden. They had Ink that was off their album after this that was in Madden. Yes. Yeah. 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 Good call there. Yeah. And can we just talk uh, about the intro to what it is to burn? Oh, it's just a little so violin, good. like just build up. Oh. That was so weird. What it is to burn? Oh, what it is to burn was a bonus track on the CD when I got it, which I thought was so weird that 
the biggest single from the album was considered a bonus track. Like almost didn't make it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, isn't that strange? The the namesake, the title track. (laughs) It's very bizarre. I caught them at Bamboozle one year. They played super early in the day and like the crowd wasn't huge for it. And they were they were on. Like I, I heard ups and downs of that his live vocals weren't always there. Maybe like threw his voice out or something. But mm-hmm. when I saw him back in like somewhere in the oh four to like oh nine range, they uh delivered. The uh their song Stay With Me from that album is like one of my all time yeah. favorite songs. Like I don't think I really understood relationships back when this song came out, but listening to it now I feel a lot of the pain that he probably felt when he was writing that song about just trying to connect with someone and sitting in a car and not really being able to talk to them or understand maybe how they're feeling at that point in their lives. That's a, I don't know. I, I love that song. I used to cover it with my crappy cover band back in the day. So good crowd sing along song too. What's the crazy heavy one on that that just like starts screaming like right off the bat? Oh, Project, Project Mayhem. Mayhem. Yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, man. Great album. Ender's a good one too. Well, I guess they wanted to end the album with Ender before adding what it is to burn as a bonus track. <laughs> oh man. All right. I'm gonna go uh take my third pick here. And it's an album that when I had my I, I was putting together a list and I was like, all right, let me put this list together and trying to think of like how you guys would pick as well. And I had this number four on my list, so I'm surprised that no one's taken this. I'm gonna go with a uh, Ocean Avenue from Yellow Card. Nice. which oh my god like i don't think i'll ever like another yellow card album other than ocean avenue i'm sure they've got some other great songs out there but i mean man i don't know about how you guys discovered yellow card but i discovered them from their cover of everywhere that michelle branch song and i was like oh this is kind of cool it's got violin in it like what's going on here and then i discovered some more of their songs and just the the idea to bring a, a, an electric violin into a band and have it be a pop punk band and these songs are just iconic like this is how do you not love ocean avenue and way away is on there uh the only one i, I really like breathing. my favorite song off the album breathing yeah, yeah. breathing right I my favorite song off the album is uh 23 i think this thing sold like you know close to two million units too at the time i just think it was like far and away their best album and a really a staple of the scene and it's just so good it was another uh another neil avron production so again i talked about him before but you know he had worked with like new Bang glory follow boy weezer frank's favorite band lincoln park yeah. <laughs> like this dude he, he went on to work with like all-time low walk the moon i don't know i just this this album is it when it comes to the pop punk genre you know early 2000s so it was another video game one. Um, Way Away was on SSX Tricky. Yeah. And I remember like the break, the, I guess more of a bridge, but when that song like mellows out like and has like the quiet part and I'd just be like snowboarding in like the back country on my TV and like that music would be playing and it was just awesome. And then they had a live version of it where their violinist did a, uh, I don't know if it was Way Away or Breathing actually, but he did a backflip off the speaker right before he came in with it and like, I was sold immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny that you brought that up. I forgot he was one of the, uh, you know, the dudes doing backflips back in the day. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I, they have a really underrated drummer too, Yellow Card. Oh yeah, it seems like Long You or Parsons or something like that, right? Yeah, he's he was pretty crazy. So, Way Away was also in Madden. 
04, <laughs> probably the best Madden, the yeah. Michael Vick Madden. Yep. So I just I just pulled it up. This had this was the year feeling this was in it. It had uh, way away, and I'm pretty sure it it had a hit the lights song. It had thrice it all it up. left. It had jet. Give it up, Midtown. Was that the year with Given Up? Mm, Are you reading it and you're saying I'm pretty sure? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it froze. It froze. (laughs) AFI The Leaving Song. Like, Jet, Are You Gonna Be My Girl? Like, this Avenged Sevenfold was in it also. (laughs) That country? Yeah, that was on SSX also. Madden used to I think Madden had a Save as a Day song. Like, they had, like, a ton of great bands. And now it's just garbage. Anyway. That's my Madden spiel. The Madden indie label. (laughs) (laughs) This concludes part one of the draft. Tune back in next week to hear everyone's final picks, as well as some honorable mentions. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 